opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit ConflictHealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about meditation, and it's so such an important skill to have because it really centers us. And when we're talking about fighting for love and turning conflict into collaboration, one of the ways to really be centered and peaceful and serene is to meditate. It helps us get out of that reptilian brain and get back into that that peaceful frontal lobe that that is really where we want to be to be creative, to be connecting, to be collaborative. Those are the kinds of things. So I just uh, was reading Buddha's book of meditation, mindfulness practices for a quieter mind, self-awareness, and healthy living. And this is by Joseph Emmett. And he um, has been on our show before. And I want to tell you a little bit more about him. If you didn't hear the interview before, he even sang before on our <laughs> on our show. Uh, Joseph has taught mindfulness practices and courses on stress management and personal growth for 20 years. And he has studied with and has been appointed a Dharma heir by Thich Nhat Hanh. He teaches an ongoing course for cancer patients at the Montreal Jewish General Hospital. His book, Sleep Better with Mindfulness Meditation by Penguin, has been translated into 10 languages and won the COVR Award for the Best Self-Help Book of 2013. And then again, he's. we're going to be talking today about this new book, Buddha's Book of Meditation. And you can find out more about him, his songs, all the great resources that he has on his website at Mindfulness Meditation Center, and center is spelled C-E-N-T-R-E, dot org. That's mindfulnessmeditationcenter.org. So thank you so much, Joseph, for coming back on our show. My pleasure, and uh, it's uh, it's wonderful to be discussing uh, Buddha's Book of Meditation. It uh, gave me a chance to reread it and uh, become reacquainted with with all the you know the journey. I, each book is a journey, and this book was certainly a journey, and it was a pleasure to reconnect with that journey. Right. You know, when we write a book, we that book really has a, a life of its own, doesn't it? And, 
And so, um, you know, it, it teaches us more than any of our readers could, could possibly learn from it, right? Yes, uh, the, the process of writing certainly does. And uh, what you say is quite true. I think I get more out of writing these books than anybody does out of reading them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you trained with Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh at Plum Village in France. Can you tell us about this experience a little bit more? I know you talked about it last time when you were on the show, but how has it affected your ideas of mindfulness meditation? Well, with Thich Nhat Hanh, one of the most amazing things about him is his presence. Uh, you know, what he says, you can read in a book and so on, but he has a very charming very engaging, uh, very compassionate, very... He's always there. Uh, and his smile is really, really uh, amazing. Like, I, I've i been there maybe 10 times over, mm-hmm. over the years, and every time I forget how genuine his smile is. And when I see it, I'm... I'm amazed all over again. So I would say that his presence, he's one of those people who, whose presence really reflects what they say. He, he, he lives, uh, you know, what he says. And uh, I think that's, that's, that's the most important message that, that I get from him. Mm. And so he is, he is uh, present and mindful of I know you quoted him in your book about everything you do is mindful. You know whether you're eating, it's a it's a mindful meditation, <laughs> or you're walking, or whatever you're doing. Our whole our whole existence um, yeah. is is really improved when we are mindful. It is a enlightened state. It sounds like I haven't I've I've seen his books and I've read some of his uh, works, but I have never been with him so i know what that what that feeling of being with someone who is so enlightened it just their their light kind of shines all around them right yes yes uh it it really does with him and uh i i, I guess it's uh, uh you know his his practice is longer than yours or mine, I mean, he has been practicing since he was a teenager quite mm-hmm. uh, quite steadily. And, uh, and not only that, but the direction of his practice. Like some Buddhists, Buddhists their, their understanding, their practice is emotionally neutral. But Thich Nhat Hanh doesn't stop with neutral. He goes toward positivity, one more step. Mm-hmm. And that really adds to the charm of his presence. Yes. Now, I know that you have a doctorate in music from Boston University. So mm-hmm. how did you kind of transition from your doctorate in music into using you know, music for medica- meditation? And why is that? How how did that all come about, and how is your music really meditation? Well, you know, um, 
I, when, when, when you study music these days, composition in a university, uh, you end up by writing very cerebral music. Uh, and uh, I, I certainly was one of those people. Um, and uh, the technique of composition and all of that. And uh, when I went to Plum Village, I heard a lot of very charming songs. And uh, they had not been notated, and uh, people who lived there had written them, and people who had passed through there had sort of made them up and left them. And immediately, right away, I started notating these songs and put them in a book uh, called The Basket of Plums. Mm. Plums coming from Plum Village. Plum Village, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that was how I started with mindfulness songs and then the next step was writing music to Thich Nhat Hanh's poems my own music mm. and then writing music to my own words at some point Thich Nhat Hanh said to me you're a bodhisattva of music uh, bodhisattva means someone who sort of Traditionally, a traditional designation of someone who lives for the sake of helping others. Mm. And uh, uh, this was a wonderful, wonderful thing to hear from him. He, he appreciated my songs, and, uh, and uh, the, the, the songs are song, sung at, at Plum Village. Mm. Every time I go there, I hear them, and it's, it's, it's another pleasure. So, uh, yeah, that was how the transition occurred over many trips, uh, gradually, and until music and singing is, 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 is a big part of my practice. I sing every day, and I, I, uh, it, it, it takes me to places that, that I really enjoy. Yeah, there is something about singing, and, and you know, my voice isn't very good, so um, I don't mind singing when I'm at my in-spirit center because there's everybody around me, <laughs> you know, so I kind of drown out. But but there is something about that whole, your whole body gets into the song. You you feel it. You feel it in your in your throat. You feel it in your chest. You feel it in your body, especially if there's, you know, uh, a lively tune. You feel like dancing or clapping or so there is there is definitely something you know when you were talking about how you studied the mechanics of music it was using your brain and you talk about in your first chapter you talk about the question is are you brainful or mindful <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah. and I was a little hesitate, hesitant about uh, inventing that word, but uh, but I think that that's the only way of saying what I really meant to say, that there is a difference between mindful and brainful, and uh, uh, that chapter is about that difference, yes. Yeah, so why don't you tell my audience a little sneak pre- preview of what you mean by the difference between brainful and mindful? Well, the brain is is the thinking organ, the thinking machine on your shoulders, and it's uh, just like the heart is a pump, and the the brain is the thinking machine, and it continues. Uh, 
and 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 uh, a lot of its suggestions they're all helpful they they're meant to be helpful but a lot of them come from your upbringing uh from even from our evolutionary background like if you're a man uh i can speak for for men i guess yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh there's that whole uh you know background of the hunter the warrior uh the you know solomon with his thousand wives the possessive guy and the competitive guy and, and the brain is uh all full of those old imprints of of those memories ancestral memories but also with it's full of compassion it's full of light it it just mindful is basically choosing choosing uh what the brain offers you the brain offers you perhaps uh competitive suggestions uh but it also offers you kind suggestions with mind mindfulness you're in a position to choose which one is going to guide your life right and that yeah yeah and and you talk about that our brain has a negativity bias and and I thought that was really important, too, because the mindfulness doesn't have that bias. I, I see when I'm mindful, I'm kind of, you know, in kind of a helicopter view of what's going on in my brain. And I'm mindful of the negative thoughts, and I'm mindful of the positive thoughts, and I'm mindful of the emotions. And, you know, we've got these... Um, you know that reptilian brain that that can be negative and the you know mm. all those parts of the brain of that whole limbic system that um is more into the negativity and the fear and all those things but when you're mindful you can evaluate those things at a higher level that's what it feels like to me yes and you're making me realize that one way of encapsulating what you say is that the brain might have a negativity bias, but mindfulness has a positivity bias. Right, right. <laughs> That's a good distinction, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, so it takes practice, and it takes uh, a an emotional intelligence to recognize that our thoughts are not us, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. Uh, there, uh, I mean, there's a there's a book uh, almost by that title. You're not your brain. Right. Uh, you're not your thoughts is another way of putting it. Right. Yes, uh, thoughts are part of you, but. Uh, you know, listening to them uh, indiscriminately is, can get you into trouble. Take them with a grain of salt. They taste better that way. <laughs> I love that, yes. So, uh, you know, uh, for people who've read your other books or when we talked about one of your other books before, what 
what do you think is really different about the Buddha book of uh, Buddha's book of meditation from your other works? Well, um, I think that each one of us does it a little differently. There's a wonderful story about a Zen teacher. He was asked, do you teach the same way as your own teacher? He said, no, I accept 50% of what I learned, and I teach 50% of what I learned. The rest is my own. And uh, the person said, well, isn't that being disloyal to your teacher? He said, on the contrary, that is being loyal to my teacher. Uh, so the idea is that each one of us sees things a little differently, experiences mindfulness a little differently, meditates a little differently, and I think that uh, my book reflects that, reflects how I do it with my background, with my experience, with my life experience. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, somebody might relate to my experience better than somebody else's experience, and the contrary is certainly true also. So uh, I think the more more uh, ways of expressing this, uh, embodying this practice, the better uh, more people can relate to us. Right, and the more that we read different perspectives or different mm -hmm. experiences, the more it helps us to evolve our own mindfulness and yes. our own unique approach to mindfulness. One of the things you talk about that I that I really love that we talked about a little bit before we came on the air was that you have a great distinction between uh, self-control and self-regulation, and I love that. I think that's that's really about emotional intelligence, too. So could you explain the difference between self-control and self-regulation? Well, uh, as I remember, I talk about self-control, uh, saying that it smacks of biting your lip, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, whereas... Self-regulation, for me, has to do with a calm mind. Uh, you sort of able to navigate the inner storms and find find a calm, serene mind somewhere, and act out of that act out of that place, which which is kind of important. I mention its importance in. Uh, in uh, relationships, for example, mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, as you were being introduced, I was saying to myself, "Yes, uh, mindfulness meditation." I think I haven't seen it as uh, promoted in uh, so much in relationship books, but it seems to me that. It is a. It can be a help in relationships, definitely. 
Oh, absolutely. Actually, we we do mention mindfulness in, in our new book, you know, Fighting for Love, Turn Conflict into Intimacy, A Couple's Guide, because we also feel that mindfulness is important in a relationship because when you were talking about uh, self-control and self-management, you know, um, self-control might be to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything uh, to my spouse about this, and I'm going to just shut up. I'm not going. I'm going to bury this. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> you know, that's self control, and you're angry, and you're just keeping it to yourself. That might be self control, but mindfulness might be. Gee, how am I feeling? Why am I having these emotional feelings about this with my spouse? It, let me think it through, and then I can say, gee. When you said this to me, honey, I felt this way. Is this what you meant? Let's talk about it. Let me let me analyze how I was feeling and then help me understand how you were feeling. So having that mindfulness is so much better than self-control in a relationship because you are then able to um, articulate to your loved one what it is that was going on and you have more of a peaceful sense without attacking or without accusing. You're just recognizing your own feelings, emotions, and thoughts and expressing those to your partner so that they have an understanding and then they can express, they're free to express that back to you. Mm-hmm. You, you said it so well. And one thing I'd like to add to that is when I studied with Robert Aitken Roshi in Hawaii many, many years ago, before I met Thich Nhat Hanh, he told me that intimacy is another word for enlightenment. Mm. Uh, intimacy in this sense being intimate with yourself. Right. And being intimate with yourself means knowing yourself well, knowing yourself, your own emotions, uh, you know, your which way you're likely to go, and so on. And I think someone who knows himself, uh, his his relationships would be privileged for sure. Yes, and that's another way. I think that mindfulness or meditation would help uh, in a relationship. Imagine two people. Who know themselves well, they're they're sh- they're bound to get along better than two people who don't know themselves. Right, so. right. Yeah, when two people don't don't know themselves well, they have a tendency to blame the other for anything that doesn't go right in their yes, life. You know, among others. Yes. <laughs> I think mindfulness helps one to be uh, self responsible. That goes along with self-regulation, that Mm -hmm. if I know myself, then I know what challenges I have, and I know, and I take responsibility for myself. I don't blame Mm -hmm. someone else. And um, as one who's done mediated divorces for 30 years... I have seen people blame each other. They they don't have that mindfulness. They don't have that deep understanding of themselves or their partner. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it just, uh, I think you're right. Mindfulness can only help to really recognize where you really are. If I'm mindful of who I am 
and what my feelings are and my and my emotions, then I can do what you talked about before, which is self-regulate. I can say, gee, you know, I don't have to be self-disciplining and in an angry or a negative state. I can pick myself up off the ground and start again. And, and I have to laugh because I've been thinking about that since the new year started. <laughs> because, it's the right time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the right time. But also, you know, I I ate too much over the holidays and I enjoyed too many goodies for uh, Christmas and New Year's and um, and Thanksgiving. It really started with Thanksgiving. Yes. And I thought, you know, a self-discipline is, don't eat that, don't eat that. You know, I've got this little thing in my head going, don't eat that, don't eat that. But if I'm mindful, I'll just say, you know, do I really need that? Or is that yeah. going to be um, detrimental to my health and my well-being and how I feel in my clothes and, and all that stuff? So... So it, it's mindfulness with regard to, um, again, not self-discipline, but self-regulation in watching what I eat for the new year. <laughs> and also basically watching what your brain is telling you. Like when I sit to eat, my brain is usually telling me, oh, that's so good, have another helping. Right. Oh, that's so good, have another helping. <laughs> then it starts saying, oh, you ate too much. Right. It goes from one to the other. There is never a moment when it says, I think you had enough. That never happens to me anyway. <laughs> right, right. So when I listen to my brain, I eat, tend to eat too much, then I tend to regret having eaten right, too much. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, take what Mindfulness is, is like that mindful eating when, I, when I'm eating and I'm, I'm really enjoying the flavors and... Saying yeah. and and I'm mindful enough to know. Okay, I'm satisfied. You know, I I don't do it enough, yeah. but I think mindful eating is is really the way to to be healthier and fit uh, for sure. Yes, <laughs> yes. They, they they say. I mean, the dietitians say, stop eating when you're three quarters full. But there is no. Uh, uh, signal from the stomach. <laughs> the three-quarters <laughs> signal does not yeah. exist. I need <laughs> a bell to go off, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The bell is mindfulness bell. That's yeah. the only bell there is. Yes. Right, yeah. right, right. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of people that are listening that probably um, have heard of different types of meditation. You know, I've been meditating since I was 19 when I learned transcendental meditation back in college. But mm -hmm. many for, people started like that. Yeah, yeah. So, how for those people who say it's you know it's January, it's a new year. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to be mindful. So, how do you motivate yourself to do it? I know how I motivate myself to do it. And um, mm -hmm. you know, how, how can we tell people to do that? Well, one of the things I mentioned is to read just one page uh, of, say, one of Thich Nhat Hanh's books, my teacher, or one of my, my books, Buddha's Book of Meditation, or the new book, Finding the Blue Sky, mm. just one page or even one paragraph. The reason for that is that normally your mind is going, oh, i got to get some cheese uh, when I go out to the grocery store. Right. I must email this person. 
And when you sit with that mind, those same thoughts continue in your mind as you're sitting. Uh, if you just read one page of an appropriate book, then that changes that mental chatter and you're already primed for meditating. So that's one suggestion. Read one page of a book by Thich Nhat Hanh or one of my books. The other suggestion is listen to a mindfulness song. There are about three dozen of them on my website, mindfulnessmeditationcenter.org, center spelled with a T-R-E at the end. Mm-hmm. And click on Buddha's Book of Meditation and on the other book, and there's elsewhere, there's lots of places with songs. A song, two minutes, three minutes, but in those three minutes, it will bring you to the edge of meditation, then all you have to do is hop in. Uh, So uh, I say this because a lot of people find the beginning, beginning stage of meditation a bit of a challenge. So uh, you can make a little, uh, you know, uh, ritual for yourself. Read a page, listen to a song, sit And just sit in the silence. And believe it or not, we have to get silent because we are out of time. But again, I'm going to have them go to your website at Mindfulness Meditation Center with a T-R-E at the end, dot org. And they can find resources there. And there's so many different ways that they can meditate and they can see on YouTube as well. So we got to go right now. But it's wonderful to speak to you in this new year. And we will keep in touch. Okay? It's been a very enjoyable conversation. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you, Joseph. We will talk to you again soon. Thanks. The opinions and views in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.